You've been going through the season of Genesis and looking at some of those particularly crucial beginnings of us, and that's really important. I want to just start by talking about... I have a file on my iPad that's just titled Help Me Understand, and it's where I put little anomalies and little things that are a bit quirky and that I, they're just hard to puzzle out. And I just want to share a couple of those with you, and there's a reason for that. So help me understand why that word is pronounced quinoa. <laughs> Does anyone understand that? I mean, we, when a woman has five children at once, they have quins, not kins, right? And I remember being in a, a big um, you know, organic food shop up on the Sunshine Coast with my wife, and my wife gets it up, upset sometimes because I just like to do things that are a bit embarrassing and uh, so we were looking around the shop and I just said to her, a shop full of you know organic foodies and said uh, honey I think I found the quinoa <laughs> and she was mortified and didn't like that too much at all help me understand why jeans with holes in them cost more than jeans without holes in them Preacher. Preacher. well why is that why is that I mean I've got my daughters who buy jeans and they jeans with holes in them and splits in them and they cost a hundred bucks and thirty-nine dollars in Target you can get ones without holes, without splits or anything. Help me understand that. Help me understand when optional oils became essential. It's an industry. Used to be I'd get a headache and I'd take a Panadol and in half an hour, an hour, it's gone. Now I get a headache and I get oil number 436 rub behind each ear and on the temple and then I take a Panadol and three an hour later the headache's gone but it's help me understand all that I want you to help me understand today we're going to look and help me understand the nature and the impact of sin it's not something we talk about a lot or even sometimes we like talking about a lot but if you're following through the work in Genesis the the words in Genesis you know that you come up to that in Genesis chapter 4 Help me understand what makes one brother kill another brother. Help me understand how that impacts my life millennia later. Because this thing called sin is invasive, it's insidious, but it affects every one of us. Help me understand that. Now, before I read the scripture from Genesis 4, let me just remind you of the story because... You know, you've looked through Genesis and the beginning, it starts with God saying, let there be light. Let there be light. What was that light? You ever thought about what that light was? It's not the sun and the moon like we get light because that's day four. This is day one. What is the light? I think it's God hovering over the beginning of creation. I've got to bring purpose and meaning and focus and Direction and shape out of this chaos. And so that process begins. There was light beginning. And then the heavens get separated from the earth. And then throughout vegetation gets created and plants. And then the sun and the moon and the stars get created in day four. And then, you know, the fish of the sea and the Birds of the air get created and animals get created and then the crown of God's creation happens. It's you and me. And that all, that's 
the light being brought into, into being, the, 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 the meaning, the purpose, the shape, the structure, the order being brought into being. God rests in and, and the two, the men and the women he create, they're living in harmony until. Until one day they're tempted. Snake comes out of nowhere, as it were, and tempts them and says, don't just believe what God says. You can eat from any tree you want. In fact, if you eat from this tree that God said don't eat from, you'll be like God, which is crazy because they already were like God. They were created in his image. Easy how we're sucked in. And, and so they eat. And that was the, what we call the fall, the fall of mankind, where the state of rebellion, the state of sin, the state of offsideness with God, state of distance and alienation with God kicks in at that point, becomes a state, becomes a, a place for us. And then we read of this first recorded act of sin after the fall. I want to read it to you. It comes from Genesis chapter 4 because what happens is the state of sin leads to acts of sin. That's what happens. The, the nature, this second nature, if you like, that we have, this state of sin then leads to acts of sin. The two are different, but there's this incredible cause and effect relationship. Happens within here. And it caused a brother to kill a brother. And we try to understand that, what must have been like in that family, we don't know. Does a brother just wake up one morning and say, today, today I'm going to kill my brother? Or is it such a, a, a build-up of pain and anguish and hurt that's been in that family? Who knows? It causes us to boil over and to explode. Genesis chapter 4 reads this way. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of some of the firstborn of this flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. 
But the Lord said to him, no, no, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out into the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Puzzling, you know, all-encompassing scripture that tells the story of this event. First, as I said, the first act of sin after the fall that's recorded. Two brothers, one kills the other. And we don't know why that is. We, we can surmise. People sometimes say, oh, well, because, you know, Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's and we don't even know how they were taught, when they were taught to sacrifice or how they were taught to bring offerings. We don't know that. Abel worked with sheep. Cain worked on the, in, in, with crops. People say, oh, Abel brought the first fruit of his, first of his, Sheep and, you know, get the impression Cain brought the last little bit of the corner of the crops that were not as good as the other. We don't know that. We surmise that. But somehow God knew. Somehow God knew that deep down inside there was a seething state of sin that was building up and so his sacrifice, his offering wasn't seen as acceptable because of what's happening in here. And the rest is history. Cain goes off from there. God, God, you know, saves him, which is a good indication of what's going to come. But he goes off and Lamech, one of his descendants, starts this city of violence and wars and it goes on like that for a long, long time. And there's this broken relationship. But the sin is so ingrained, this state of sin is so ingrained this nature of sin so ingrained that the rest of the Old Testament narrative is this place of sin, repentance, reform, sin, repentance, reform. It goes on for generation after generation, for century after century, for millennia after millennia, and it comes to us. It comes to us. And we realise that's the world we live in. That the state or this nature comes first. You see, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. There's something in the nature of that. Acts of sin don't make you a sinner. Being a sinner causes acts of sin. It's, uh, that's who we are. That's the nature. It's been like that for a long time. It's the world we live in. We sin not because necessarily we want to, but because there's a nature there that the fall brought to the fore. That's what's happened. In fact, it's a dilemma the Apostle Paul points us to. You, you understand this when you get your head around this. You, you get this. Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. How many of us feel like that? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. It's not a matter of gritting your teeth and going, I do it. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin. There's something living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Amen. We'll all say that. Desire to, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, 
It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So there's this nature that causes acts. That's what's happened in our world. Paul identifies it. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we read that there's a whole bunch of ways that that nature of us and those acts of us get dealt with. There's a whole complicated and complex set of offerings that are made, sacrifices that are made, feasts that are have. There's a complex set of people who can deal on behalf. They're called priests. And this happens regularly, 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 year after year after year. It has to keep going back and forward, back, 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 where all those things are brought towards God annually, at least, to make a difference. There's been a continual problem happens trying to deal with that stuff in our lives. We want to do, we know what we want to do, we jolly well can't do it, we grit our teeth, still doesn't work. Something needs to happen. Every year it happened with a set of people called priests on behalf of you and me. And here's the dilemma with sin. The trouble with sin is we like it and we rank it. That's what we do with it, right? We, we like it and we rank it. Um, we just happen to enjoy it sometimes. Many, many years ago now, it was in 1973, an event happened in Sweden where a guy called Jan-Erik Olsen went into a bank called the Credit Banken, Sweden, and he went in with a semi-automatic gun and he shot it into the ceiling and said, now the party's beginning. And his plan was to race into the bank, rob it and get out quick, but things went awry and he ended up keeping four hostages, three, three women uh, tellers and, and another uh, male bank worker. And he had them as hostages because it all went bad for him, so he let people go except these four people. And it was just, a, he made some demands of the police. He wanted a friend of his, a guy called Clark Olufsen, who was in prison, released and brought to the bank to help him. He wanted a Ford Mustang car parked out the front. It's going to go, let's go well. And, and, and that was done. By day two, the hostages and these two men were on first name basis. The police... Um, said they were going to storm the building. And one of the hostages rang up the, um, got in touch with the Prime Minister of Sweden, mine by the name of Olaf Palm, and said, please don't do it. They were more fearful of the police storming them than of the hostages who'd taken them captive. After day five, the police eventually uh, shot tear gas in there and the hostage, the hostage holders, the captives, said, we'll, we'll, we'll give up now, we'll come out. And the police ordered the, 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 the hostages out first and the captors were to follow them. And the hostages said, no, we want the captor, captors to go first because they were fearful that when they got out and cleared away, the others would just get shot. So they made the people who held them hostage go first so they were safe. And they embraced on the front door of the bank and captives were taken away and the hostages were freed and young Eric Olsen got 10 years for armed robbery which was a very light sentence because none of those people would testify against him. They visited him in prison. It's a phenomenon called the Stockholm Syndrome started then 
And it's when you get attached to something that was designed to bring you harm. That's what the Stockholm Syndrome is. When you get attached to someone who's meant evil for you or meant harm for you. Sins like that. We actually like it. We get attached to it. And we know it's not good for us, but we do. We get attached to it. That's what happens. Gossip is good fun. A lot of the time. Theft benefits us if we do it right. Sexual sin is momentary pleasure for us. Putting people down puts me up. Quite like it. Telling a lie will save my skin. Judgmentalism will feed my self-righteousness. We like it. If we're really honest. Because there's a nature in there. We know what we want to do, but there's a nature in there that kind of is self-preservation. It's for us. And then we rate it. We rate it in terms of degree. Gossip's not as bad as murder. And the consequences are different, I get that. But it comes from the same place. Lying is not as bad as physical violence. So we, we like it and we rate it. And that's who we are. That's the human condition. That's the brokenness of life. We are broken people. We need to understand that. And we don't want to go through all this routine and rigmarole of complex sacrifices and offerings and feasts and certain people who can do it for us. Sin is rife. We see it all around. It's a big deal. So what happens? This event that started with the first reported act of sin is still very active in our world. So I want to tell you this. Jesus is good news for sin and for sinners. He's good news. If we don't acknowledge sin and we don't acknowledge our brokenness, it's not good news. It's only good news if something can, can, can replace all that rigmarole and make a difference in life for us. He is good news. And when you read through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus on earth, he doesn't talk about it that much. He just deals with it. He just deals with it. He doesn't give too many rants. He does say at a point of time, you know, you've heard that it was said that this is wrong, but if you even think about it, it's bad news. But he catches a, he's put on a spot by some religious police on the day who catch a woman caught in adultery and the, the implication is she's right, caught in it right there and then. And she, they, put her, they put her in the marketplace and they call Jesus and say, what are you going to do? Because the law says she should be stoned here. What are you going to do? So he very wisely bends down and just writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. It's on stone. And even maybe the act of writing on stone with a finger reminds them of who God is because that happened before. He said, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone, will you? And they start to walk away because no one's without sin. Turns to her and says, uh, where are your condemners? Are they still around? No. Well, neither do I condemn you, but just go and sin no more. 
I mean, it's a matter of fact. He's caught in a situation where people, um, a man was blind. And the question is, who sinned, him or his parents, his father? Because the, the thought process was that if something bad came upon you, it was because you sinned individually. He said, neither, but that the works of God would be shown. See, the, he just dealt with it as it happened. That's what Jesus does. He deals with it in a way that helps our daily life, that helps our faith, that helps us move on and make a difference. He just does that. It's a regular and ongoing way of our Christian life. It's, it's repentance, forgiveness. And by the way, you cannot talk about repenting from sin without talking about forgiveness. You've got to, you've got to do both. Tell you, because yeah, it's just so, so important. Because God talks to us on a vertical level, our relationship with him, but also on a horizontal level, how we relate to one another. And sin affects both. That's why when someone said to him, what's the, greatest, what's the greatest commandment? Give me the one greatest commandment. He gives them two. And he says, the second one's like the first one. It's not second in terms of importance. It's just second the way, the way he does it, does it. It's like the first. Both important. Forgiveness is crucial. I'll try and explain what that is in a moment. But here's a photo of a, a young guy I met. I was in Rwanda uh, in about a week before the 20th commemoration of their Rwandan genocide, where close to a million people were slaughtered in a, in a month, basically. Tribal war. And I was in a church, it was an Anglican church service on the way to the airport with a team of people coming home, and we stopped at an Anglican service, and the guy, Pastor Francis was his name, a lovely guy, just loved his people, an old, old, uh, old pastor, probably younger than I am now, but he was old to me, and... Uh, um, we, he, he just said, Tim, in the service, would you, when it comes time, would you read the scriptures and introduce your team? I said, sure, I'll do that. So it uh, comes to time, I asked him up and I read the scriptures and, and uh, you know, dealt with his, uh, introduced my team. And, he, and then he said, finished that, sat down, and he said, today we're going to pray. We're going to pray for Christopher. That's Christopher going to pray for Christopher and his wife Christina. Christina wasn't there. Christopher was the sound man. He was sitting over about there with a four-channel mixer connected to a car battery. <laughs> you don't know how good you have it, you guys. And he said, Christopher, we're going to pray for Christopher and Christina because where the man who slaughtered Christa, Christina's parents um, 20 years ago, this week owned up where he'd buried them. And he buried them at the bottom of a pit latrine. And he said, this Thursday, we're going to go as a church. We're going to dig up Christina's parents' remains and we're going to give them a proper burial. We're going to do it this Thursday. We're going to pray for Christopher today. And he said to me, Tim, would you help me pray? I'm a bawling wreck. I'm an absolute mess. So I did go up with him and fortunately he spoke and I didn't because I couldn't have. And, and we prayed for Christopher and Christina before the Thursday that week. And, you know, it was, uh, fortunately, we, you know, you, 
I know you're not supposed to open your eyes when you pray, but I opened my eyes. And uh, I was bawling. Christopher was bawling. Just amazing. One of the most amazing events I've ever had in my life. But I realised the backstory afterwards. The backstory afterwards was that Christopher was from the Hutu tribe and his wife Christina was from the Tutsi tribe where the fighting was happening. So before they ever got to this point, before they ever got to marry, they had to forgive. Forgiveness had to be huge in that horizontal relationship. And you realise that forgiveness is not just an, an, it's not just a, a spontaneous event. It's not just something that happens. It's not just something that you decide upon. You do do that, but there's a second element to forgiveness, and it's this, you surrender the right to get even. The first one is instantaneous. The second one takes some time, which helps you understand why you forgive someone, but the next time you see them, you still feel a bit angsty. Because it takes time. You surrender the right to get even. And here's where it doesn't sound too Christian. Because before you surrender the right to get even, you have to claim the right to get even. So you have, under natural law, a right to get even. But under supernatural law, you surrender that right. That's forgiveness. And that's exactly how Jesus forgave you. Exactly how he did it. He made a choice to forgive you, but he surrendered the right to get even. That's what he did. Jesus is good news for sin and for sinners. And you come to the place now where, where you have the, the cross and the covenant. The cross is an extraordinary thing. David talked before about Good Friday. Good Friday is Great Friday. Because the cross of Christ is, is forgiveness for sin. But it's more than that. It ushers in a new era. It's called a new covenant. The first covenant was all this complex sacrifices and complex you know, feasts and complex offerings and a certain group of people who can do it for you. And now that's all blown apart. When Jesus died on a cross... He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And when it says, he shouted, it's finished. And it wasn't just forgiveness for sin is finished, but an old covenant's finished. There's a new covenant. Otherwise, why would there be an earthquake? Something catastrophic happened. Why would the temple of the curtain of the temple be torn in two from top to bottom, a four-inch thick curtain torn from top to bottom, showing you you don't need all this anymore? Jesus is enough for sin. He's enough. We can deal with that. It's finished. Let me read to you some of that, this new covenant. For if there'd been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another, but God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they, would, they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their, on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the greatest of them 
and the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. Listen to that. He's made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. You see, this old way of dealing is obsolete. This old covenant is obsolete. Obsolete isn't bad. It just means it's fulfilled its purpose. And it means it's been replaced. That's what obsolete means. And now there's a new way to deal with that. Jesus did that on the cross. It had to be at the end of his life. It wasn't at the beginning of his life, which made his life difficult because he was living in an old covenant world, ushering in a new covenant place. That's tricky. Get you killed. So now the new covenant comes into place. So on that day when the curtain was ripped, from, from, you didn't need the temple anymore. It reads this, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called away receive the promise eternal inheritance. Now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from their sins under the first covenant. In that case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of one who'd made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while he's living. It was difficult for Jesus while he was living. His death, when he said it's finished, wasn't just you're forgiven because you are. It was as a new, as a new world. There's a new relationship of freedom, of life and of hope. And human beings now can take advantage of that freedom, that forgiveness, that new covenant. And know that the penalty now of your sin and my sin and the acts of sin is taken care of. We still live a life of repentance and forgiveness. But the penalty for that, the, the thing that had to be paid for that has been paid once and for all. Not this year and next year and the year after, but once and for all. And while we still commit acts of sins, we can call upon that gift regularly as a normal part of life and faith to make a difference. Scriptures say there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus anymore. None whatsoever. I want to finish with just an image for you. I've just come to realise and understand this Japanese art form called Kinshugi. I don't know if you know about it, but kinshugi is an art form whereby when dishes and pots are broken, there are certain artisans in that country. It's an old-fashioned art form. People who put back together broken pieces with lacquer and glue mixed with gold. And a pot could look like that. Just a broken earthenware pot. And what's happened is those that broken pot now put back together is worth multiple times more than its value before it was broken. And certainly more than it was when it was broken. It's a great image of what happens in your life and my life. God puts back brokenness through his forgiveness in Jesus. He puts back broken pieces to make a difference in our lives. And I want to say this, well, it's no use just looking at Genesis is a nice theological issue if it doesn't make a difference to us. You might be here today and there's a brokenness in you. There's, there's something that's been worrying you and, and there's something that's just built up inside you and it's going to explode and you mightn't kill your brother but you know you might do something stupid. And, and you need to know 
the forgiveness of God and when he puts stuff back together, man, oh man, it's got value. Your brokenness can be forgiven and renewed and you can build life. Now, you might be here as a believer in Jesus and that still might be the situation with you because it can be. Or you might be here for the very first time and realize I've got a brokenness that nothing else can fix. Only Jesus and his forgiveness and his newness and freshness can fix that brokenness. That might be where you're at today. And if you're there today, I just, I'd love to pray for you. If there's something just bothering you that, that just won't go away, that just it needs God's touch, it needs God's forgiveness, either in a, in, a, in a new way for you as a follower of Jesus or for the very first time, I'm going to ask you today just to do something courageous. You know, Ash asked us to do something courageous at the beginning of the service to just be open up to God. I'm going to ask us to do something courageous. I just want you to stand where you are. If you'd like me to pray for you, that you would know the forgiveness and the freedom of Jesus in some form today, something that's just bothering you. I want to ask you to stand. Be free to do that. Be courageous enough to do that. And I'd just love to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird or wonderful or come down here or anything just to stand where you are and I'd love to pray for you. I want to give you 20, 30 seconds just to stand right now and then I'm going to pray for you. You do that right now. that I'm going to pray just keep standing I'm going to pray for you right now God I want to thank you so much for who you are I want to thank you so much for the courage of these people standing today who are saying there's something in me that needs the touch of Jesus there's something in me that needs his forgiveness and his freshness in me God I want to thank you for each person and you know each person's story I don't need to God you know it Father, I pray that people today will go knowing they've sensed and felt the touch of your hand in their lives right now. Holy Spirit, do your work of communicating that forgiveness to people. And God, I pray if there are people standing today for the very first time because they've come to say, look, I've tried everything or I just need Jesus to start that life afresh in me. God, thank you for that courage pray that you will cause them to say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Forgive my sin. I start again. Start again with you. God, thank you for that courage. Bless and encourage each one in Jesus' name.